Two years ago, 20% of Amherst College's senior class planned to work in financial services after graduating. That equates to roughly 90 out of the 452 seniors. This figure dwarfs the other post-grad outcomes. For reference, 11% of the graduating class plan to work in consulting, and only 4% of the graduating class plan to work in law. For most students, this statistic probably isn't surprising. Everybody knows, for better or for worse, that Amherst produces a large number of Wall Street investment bankers every year. But we don't really know who these students are and why they're going to work on Wall Street. Yes, there's research that theorizes why finance appeals to elite college students. But how do real students here at Amherst College think about careers in finance? At a school with such diverse opportunities, why does one-fifth of our student body want to pursue a career in financial services? Welcome to Terrace Radiant, the podcast where we consider the ways in which Amherst has, and has not, lived up to its institutional mission. I'm Andrew Rosen. On today's episode, I'll explore the reasons why such a high percentage of Amherst students go on to work in finance after graduation. I talk with students and staff to understand how this is a structural issue particular to Amherst College, but also an independent phenomenon that you would find on any college campus. And we'll reveal the layers and nuances of the phrase that haunts many students on liberal arts campuses, finance culture, on this episode of Terrace Radiant, the Amherst to Wall Street Pipeline. There are a lot of reasons why students go into finance. One is the industry size. It's as big, if not bigger, than technology, healthcare, as far as the number of jobs and the impact it has on our economy. That's Stephanie Hawkman, the program director of the Traub Careers in Business and Finance program. And so there's a lot of numbers games, right? People go into finance because there's a lot of opportunity there. And it doesn't require an additional education step like medical school or law school. Careers in finance also promise a quick return on investment. I think with environmental studies and history, one of the things you're looking at is a very long academic career. Like if I want to pursue history full time or be a professor or be a researcher, that requires me to go to grad school, get a PhD, or for environmental studies, a very similar line. That's Sushant Batari, a senior environmental studies and history double major. Another reason is the industry carries a lot of prestige. There's this social, cultural piece that is not, it's not exclusive to Amherst, but it's exclusive to schools like Amherst. A lot of students who end up going to Amherst, probably what factors into their goals to be here or their interest in being here is kind of an attunement to prestige. That's Emily Griffin, director of the Loeb Center. The working environment of the finance industry is also appealing. And from there, um, I realized that um, investment banking might be something that I want to do because unlike my chemistry research, it's a very collaborative, fast-paced environment, and it just gives you a broad exposure to a lot of businesses. That's Sona Kim, class of 2022. And finally, there are the skills you learn. Now, this might change, but that's really the place where I want to go and learn the skills to, for example, go and work in an impact investment fund or go and work at a private equity fund that's based in South Asia. So it's a great incubator, but I don't see it as more than that right now. I think a lot of people go into finance because it builds an amazing skill set, specifically investment banking, quite frankly. You learn so many different skills in the first couple of years as an investment banker that you can then take those skills into any other job, whether it's going to be the CEO of Amgen or it is going on to some other 
you know, investing type role or, you know, quite frankly, starting your own company. That's really the place where I want to go and learn the skills. I actually develop a lot of strong skills that are really transferable to other things. You learn so many different skills in the first couple of years as an investment banker. The skills. 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 You get the point. You work on Wall Street to develop a skill set that will allow you to succeed after Wall Street. It's an important point, so we're going to return to it in greater detail at the end of the podcast. We're also going to explore a question that to many of you will sound contradictory, paradoxical, or even farcical. Can you do good on Wall Street? I think what people often don't realize with the markets and investment banking in general is there, it's a very big force in how policy is driven. Um, a lot of the policy, the bureaucratic policy side we see is about coming up with policy and actually knowing the markets is you're actually making changes. For example, um, Goldman Sachs now has a group dedicated just to sustainable finance, and they want to invest $750 billion by 2030. This question of ideals, values, and impact are critical to our understanding of how students perceive finance, and it deserves to be a central part of this conversation. But first, we should address the elephant in the room, money. Yes, you'll make a lot of money working on Wall Street. The average salary for a first-year investment banking analyst is somewhere between $170,000 and $190,000. And it's a real reason for why students want to work in finance. These days, my goal is FIRE. Have you ever heard about FIRE? Financial independence, retire early. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I'm hoping to retire before 30 if possible. But we'll see. I just want to retire as soon as I can. Once again, that's Sona Kim, a senior who's going to work full-time as an analyst at J.P. Morgan after graduating this spring. And I mean, who wouldn't want to retire by 30? Here's Stephanie Hawkman again. Does Wall Street pay well? Yes. You know, that, that, there's no doubt about it. But so does technology. And so does healthcare. And, you know, I think it just gets a light shown on it because of it. But... I don't think there's anything wrong with being compensated for the value you add to a company. I don't disagree with Stephanie. People should be paid for the value they add to a company. But if it comes down to the value of your work, how does she explain a first-year investment banking analyst making $190,000 a year when the average salary of a public school teacher in Amherst is around $63,000? Here's what she said. So why does Wall Street pay more than educators? I think that's a factor of government. (laughs) Um, I think educators should absolutely be paid more. I think that Finance believes they should pay more for a couple of reasons. Without finance, we don't have an economy that moves, right? It is the transition from the money that's there to the companies that need it. And if that doesn't happen, those companies can't grow and employ more people and therefore pay more taxes that build roads and schools and that sort of thing. So finance is this middle ground that exists for a reason and Everything that happens there has a transaction price to it, and they get paid a lot for it. I think it is a way to attract people to the industry, just as people are attracted to Google or, quite frankly, Pfizer. (laughs) That makes sense. Yeah, I I wish we paid our educators more. I really do. Stephanie is saying that the finance industry pays well because it allows our society to function on the most basic level. Whether the system allows for a good society is another question entirely. But let's continue with salary for now. Here's Emily Griffin again. Definitely the salaries are disproportionately high compared to any salary you're going to get starting out in other industries. Um, You know, their salary, their signing bonuses. I mean, it's really appealing. But I think that there are other reasons. Yes, there are other reasons. 
These are important, and I want to highlight that a lot of times these quote-unquote other reasons would come up in conversation before the salary. I don't think there was anyone I talked to that only named the salary as the reason for going into investment banking. We'll return to these other reasons shortly. I want to conclude this segment on salaries by underscoring that sometimes the salary is not about becoming filthy rich. Sometimes salary means stability. Coming to Amherst, now Amherst is an extremely generous school. So you have people from low-income backgrounds, you have people from diverse backgrounds. Making it to Wall Street is not so much of a choice, but a necessity. There's a great like article on the Amherst student about only 3% of our like graduating class, I think, going into public service. Um, but I also think you have to think about, well, if we have, if we're giving opportunities to all these first-generation low-income students, they, there might be a, a drive to secure that economic freedom. I know in my experience, for sure, Wall Street is also, it secures me bureaucratic freedom in the U.S. I have the most chance of getting to the next visa um, because I'm at a firm that's reputable. He told me that he decided that he wanted to be good with money from a young age, partly because, personally, he wanted to manage his own money to learn how to save it and invest it. But as he just de- described, Money takes on a bigger significance for a lot of students. This provides a nice segue into the second most commonly cited reason for going into finance, job security. In the finance industry, it's most common to work after graduating with the company you interned with during your junior summer. Junior summer internships are decided during candidate's sophomore year. So that means for people like Sona, she knew that she was guaranteed a job after graduating since her sophomore year at Amherst. As you can imagine, this takes off an incredible amount of stress and pressure. Here's how Emily Griffin explains it. One of the things that they've done that's innovative and that no other sector does is they recruit really early and they have, they create these systems where if you intern with them one summer, it dramatically increases your likelihood of just having a return offer. And that's also really appealing for students um, that, you know, wow, I could walk into my senior year job in hand and I don't have to stress and I don't have to get you know, bent out of shape over this. I can actually just focus on my senior year um, and I know where I'm going. And that security and that certainty, I mean, who who wouldn't <laughs> find that appealing, right? Other students mentioned this, like Jacob Schultz, class of 2019. He's going to law school, but he noted that the finance track has more of a playbook than the government or nonprofit path. It's hard to get a job in finance, but there's more of a known path for doing it. But Emily explained that one of the major downsides for this early recruitment process is that it tends to close off other doors for these students, that it stops them from exploring other subjects and career paths that interest them. But the certainty of a job immediately after graduating is hard to turn down. Um, And when you look at these other sectors, going into nonprofits, going into the arts, um, going into education is a little easier, um, but, you know, going into these other fields, the pathway looks a little bit more opaque. It's a little bit more ambiguous. The timeline can feel really... Um, it can make you feel really insecure because it certainly doesn't mean you're going to have a job before you graduate. You might be job searching the summer after you graduate. People tend to land after that summer and into the fall, but like I'm sure it's really scary and it feels really difficult. Emily also notes how nonprofits have less resources and money to recruit students. These are organizations that don't have the time or personnel to recruit. And at the end of the day, recruiting distracts from the critical work that these nonprofits do. So it's not really in their best interest. In the same vein as this question of job certainty and stability, I want to share a short anecdote from Najati, a freshman from Turkey. Well, I would say the uh, college campus, before coming here, I was planning on becoming an aerospace engineer. But then I realized that like there were about like one or two engineers that graduated from the college in the last three years. 
and there's not many opportunities at all where as a college is like really, you know, making it easy to go into finance. And I did not want to, I guess, like swim against the current. So how does someone planning on becoming an aerospace engineer end up interested in finance? That's coming up after the break. Remember Stephanie Hawkman, the Loeb Center Advisor for Careers in Finance? Well, she's really good at what she does. I think Stephanie Hawkman is definitely the most helpful resource on, cam- on campus. Um, she can give you a lot of study guides, and she can also provide you a mock interview and also connect you to an appropriate alum that can help you through the process. And at the end of the day, the Loeb Center does its job of connecting students with career opportunities. But how good is it at connecting students to jobs in finance compared to, say, jobs in healthcare or education? And generally, I'd say like the Loeb Center or other clubs, etc., they're really finance-oriented. Finance-oriented. From my experience, I'd say that's a good way to describe it. But Emily Griffin, the director of the Loeb Center, thinks that this is a misperception. Yeah, we spend around a million dollars a year um, giving students stipends to participate in unpaid internships. And almost all of those are in the nonprofit sector. So when you really look at like what the Loeb Center resources are, it's actually very small proportionally for business and finance. Emily argues that it is external forces like investment banks' superior recruitment campaigns that give the finance community an advantage. This is true. And I also think that this misperception in itself can dissuade students from pursuing careers in education or science and technology, or at least nudges students into careers in finance. At the same time, it's hard to ignore the effort of the Loeb Center to prepare students for careers in finance. Take the Introduction to Finance Workshop, for example. It's an eight-week survey of the finance industry, and most students who go on to intern or work with investment banks take this workshop their freshman or sophomore year. And then I looked at what was being provided and what I felt was lacking in the understanding of students and their preparation. And that created the Intro to Finance program, which I started in the spring semester of 2016. So the second semester I was here. And it was really the whole purpose was to broaden the horizons of the finance industry because I had come to realize that people were going into certain careers with the belief that that was all there was. And especially when it came to finance and my experience in finance was that it's not just investment banking or investment management, but there's a breadth of different career paths that you can have. Stephanie also says that one of the main catalysts for the creation of the program was the steep learning curve that Amherst graduates would face when starting on Wall Street, especially when compared to students who graduated from pre-professional finance or business schools. In any case, you have 40-some students getting briefed every Wednesday night in Science Center E110 on the ins and outs of the finance industry. There's an identical workshop that just began for consulting, and it checks out that consulting is the other big and growing postgrad outcome for seniors. These kinds of opportunities just don't exist for other career paths. Now, on top of the Loeb Center, Intro to Finance series, etc., athletes have access to an additional set of resources to help them find work on Wall Street. Through generations of student athletes graduating and going to work on Wall Street, finance networks have become ingrained within Amherst sports teams. Senior Sona Kim explained that students on the football and hockey teams especially have strong connections in the world of finance thanks to their alumni networks. Upperclassmen, too, can facilitate mock interviews for underclassmen, and graduates can give you referrals for real interviews. 
This general process was corroborated by members of the football team. Here's first-year lineman Jack Nagy talking about the leg up that football players have when it comes to networking. You know, you just want to find those common experiences that you have with, you know, Amherst alums. Um, you know, football definitely makes that easier. You know, you can just go on the alumni directory, search, you know, extracurriculars, football, and boom, you've got, you know, a list of hundreds of people that are in the finance industry that are, you know, pretty willing to help you out because, you know, they were once in your shoes and they can relate to you very easily and help you out. You know, um, I got an internship this summer and the only reason is because, you know, this guy who played Amherst football reached out to me and said, you know, would you be interested in interning with me? You know, without that, it wouldn't have happened. So, Sophomore lineman Elo Fedora also noted that his upperclassmen teammates provide a lot of support. I would say that most of the upperclassmen have reached out um, either to me directly or spoken in front of a team and said, hey, we had some upperclassmen that kind of took care of us and said, you know, get your act together, LinkedIn profile, get it done, or helped out with mock interviews and they've made themselves readily available for us. And those that have graduated already have said, listen, we, we want to hear from you guys again. So when you guys get down to the financial world or wherever you want to go into, our lines are always open, like ready, to, ready for an Amherst football call. Alo added that the most important part of networking is finding what he calls common footing. And he says that Amherst graduates, whether or not they were on the football team, are always eager to help. The takeaway is that any student can lean on Amherst's extensive alumni network, but it definitely helps to be on a sports team. While I think that the stability finance provides as a career option is a valid reason for working on Wall Street, I'm most interested in the students who choose careers in finance because they genuinely enjoy it, because they find markets and investing as a discipline to be genuinely interesting. Somewhat paradoxically, the through line for these students is that they have a passion outside of finance. For example, freshman Ajati Akinja originally wanted to be an aerospace engineer and plans on majoring in physics. He says that he gravitates towards the quantitative side of investment banking because of its intersections with pure science and the ability it affords to solve important financial problems. Well, especially like those last 20, 25 years, even people who are really interested in quantitative sciences, like it's uh, working in NASA or like big research laboratories are not the dream anymore. The dream is working in Wall Street because they do need quantitative people and especially some of the you know, areas and banks in Wall Street, the main thing they want to do is solve quantitative problems, approach them in a different way. And that's actually not that different from, okay, it might be different from engineering, but it might, it's not that different from actual pure sciences like physics, math. Sushan, who's an environmental studies and history major, is interested in sustainability and feels like Wall Street is where you can have the biggest impact in that area, as opposed to the more intuitive choice of working in politics and policy. Here's him talking about the investment strategy known as impact investing. While policy is more at the meta level and setting up the regulations for things to succeed, market actors actually have the power to make some of these things succeed. For example, impact investing is huge now. And you have these big investment banking firms not just investing in stocks to make a profit, but they're also now being driven to make profits on green energy and create green bonds. And for example, um, there's now offshore farms that are going to be in offshore wind farms outside of New York. And those are places where investment banks are coming in. So I think the ability to use the market to make that difference um, to me is a little bit more powerful than being at a policy level, just creating meta level structures that you never know if it'll actually translate into something happening. In different subsets of the finance industry, there are opportunities to apply your academic interests and work towards creating positive change. But despite the opportunities that Sushan claims Wall Street provides, he does not plan on working in finance for long. For him, Wall Street is a stepping stone. It's a means to an end. 
So it has to be seen as a skill set, not necessarily a full-time career, like everything. Like when you go to a PhD, you're not going to do a PhD for, the, for all of your life, right? You're going to do a PhD for six years, and then use your PhD to do something else. So I think my main takeaway is go from B to C, from B to D, from B to E, from B to F. Just use those skills and know that they can be applied elsewhere versus Wall Street being that inert bubble where you have to go from uh, Goldman Sachs to J.P. Morgan. You can go from a Goldman Sachs to the World Bank. You can go from the World Bank to the World Wildlife Fund. You can go from that to starting your own shoe company. Those are skills that are transferable. Wall Street itself is temporary, and that's how you should look at it. Sushan stressed that Wall Street cannot be an end in itself. But he argued that in the world of finance, not enough energy is devoted to talking about careers and options after Wall Street. That's where I find difficulty. When I talk to my peers about going into investment banking, and then I ask them what next, they don't know what's next because we don't talk about what's next, or we don't talk about what else is out there, or what they can do with that career. So the conversation kind of stops at you go to Wall Street and you've made it. I disagree with that. I think if you give them more knowledge, then Wall Street can be seen as an incubator, a place for knowledge, kind of similar to how a lot of people go to consulting and then go do venture capital because that's something that aligns with their interests. So I, that's the one place where I wish Amherst made a greater push to bring in people who are post-Wall Street careers or people who had done something different. I recently made, met an alum who worked 25 years in Wall Street, and then started a risk management firm where he now he looks at geopolitics and advises clients. And I feel like that's great. Like he's doing something different that aligns with his interests using what he learned in Wall Street. On this point, I couldn't agree with Sushan more. People talk about the skill set you learn on Wall Street, the connections you'll make, but hardly anyone talks about life after Wall Street. Students will talk about working on Wall Street for X number of years and then leaving and changing careers but how many students have a clear vision of where their Wall Street skills take them? How many students end up staying on Wall Street for their entire career? It seems like the Amherst to Wall Street pipeline ends where the name suggests, on Wall Street. Susan feels that the programs and resources at Amherst are designed to find students work on Wall Street, and as a result, conversations about next steps after finance get the short end of the stick. Here's Sushan again. We talk a lot about transferable skills, but nobody really tells you what transferable skills you get out of Wall Street. One of the ideas that I have is, um, I might go work in the field of art history. I don't see myself as starting a career in Wall Street and having to end it there. I see it as a part of my life where I will learn skills that are valuable and generate income that'll help kind of couch what I do next. But if it comes to it, then there might be a point where I decide to go do more history or go, go do more art history or focus on research. On the flip side of this thoughtful, long-term approach to finance, a podcast about finance culture would not be complete with at least one mention of the infamous finance bro. Everyone knows a finance bro, or at least can conjure an image of a stereotypical finance bro. Here's how Najati describes it. It brings to mind a sense of laziness, maybe. Not caring about academic pursuits or, you know, things that Amherst prides itself upon. Like, you know, learning something just for its sake and not... Uh, chasing, what do you call that, uh, monetary value in actions. This image of a finance bro is omnipresent on college campuses. It's ingrained into people's psyches. I have a friend who's a history major, and he's thinking about adding economics as a second major, but he doesn't want to tell people because of the negative associations of finance bros. Now, I don't think he's a finance bro by any means, 
Sushant does a good job explaining what you could call the academic approach of a finance bro. My kind of stereotypical understanding, and it holds some merit, is they're very parochial, um, very kind of driven to get into the world of finance, and that for them is the ultimate goal. Um, I think sometimes it defeats the spirit of the liberal arts. Um, I think finance is a great career, but because there's so much pressure put on it, finance bros are these dudes that from freshman year onwards are just so driven to get into a Goldman Sachs or a JP Morgan that they, I guess, forget or they don't want to indulge in the more creative pursuits within the liberal arts. And for me, that's what a finance bro is. You, they come in and that's what they do. That's what they do their entire four years. That's where the focus is. That's what they talk about. That's a finance bro. What's also interesting is that Sushan finds that finance bros are unable to engage in conversations outside of the world of finance. They choose to ignore the social, cultural, and political complexities of the profession and of the world, which has consequences. But for me, if someone is so bent on going into finance that they put a wall around them and they dig up a moat where the only thing they can talk about is finance and the fact that this is happening here and this is happening there and the inability to talk about repercussions, for example. I feel like if you want to go to McKinsey, you should also know about the fact that there was they were promoting opioids and they were trying to kill people. The truth is that not all students who work in finance are created equal. The pitfall of finance culture is that it can consume an individual's identity and serve as blinders towards the outside world. There's more to life than markets, investing, and money. When you're on Wall Street, it's easy to perceive the world through this narrow lens of finance. But if you do, you'll end up neglecting the values of curiosity, creativity, and knowledge that define Amherst. You'll violate one of Amherst's core principles, to engage the world around you. It's critically important to situate finance within larger social, political, and systemic issues. People who work in finance have to actively cultivate an awareness of these issues. I'm not saying that finance or Wall Street are categorically bad. In fact, I think there is merit to working on Wall Street. But it's easy and it's common to get caught up in the world of finance and abandon the elements of it that do have value. Students who work in finance have a responsibility to live up to certain standards as citizens of the world, even if their career doesn't specifically ask it of them. I want to end today's episode with Sushan's response when I asked him to think about his own ideals and values and how he justifies working on Wall Street with respect to them. I think if you look at your entire trajectory at Wall Street and think of it as a purely money-making scheme, I mean, there, that's something I disagree with. I look at Wall Street as a place to learn. And my own moral value and ethics is I want to be able to have the knowledge to build on what I already have and do something good with it. And for me, to learn about finance, to build those connections and to build those networks to do better and good um, in the rest of my career, it requires me to be at a place that will teach me all of that. And while there are some deals that I don't agree with on Wall Street, there's also things where I think given the right investment, for example, there's this, um, there's this Danish oil company that was recently or five or six years ago transformed into a wind farm company um, because they had capital from Wall Street. So I think if we can highlight things like that and if we can push for things like that, that's where I want to be in Wall Street. But I completely disagree with um, exploiting people halfway across the world and building factories to generate profits when people are suffering. Um, Wall Street, I think it can also it can be used as a mechanism to create investments that will help communities and help our transition away from an economy that's based on capitalist exploitation. Um, but 
there are bits of it that I completely disagree with. Part of being a globally conscious employee in the finance industry involves reckoning with just how harmful the finance industry can be. Only from this reckoning can Amherst students help nudge Wall Street in the direction of progress, equity, and justice. Thank you for listening to this episode of Terrace Radiant, the Amherst to Wall Street Pipeline, presented by the Amherst Student. This episode was produced by me, Andrew Rosen, with the support of managing podcast editor Sam Spratford. Special thanks to Nicole Richards for her audio editing. Read and listen to more stories at www.amherststudent.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time on Terrace Radiant.